0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Plotlines, I'm your host Connor, and today, I mean, we're, we're recording this during Holy Week, and I think it's a very uh, a, a proper time to be discussing this, though it will probably be released uh, after Easter, because I don't want to get people distracted too much uh, do- during Holy Week, um, so... Uh, but today we're going to be talking about Christian Christian persecution. Our my guest here today is Dr. Thomas Williams, who wrote the book on it. Basically, uh, the coming Christian persecution uh, is the name of the book. It is with uh, it's Crisis Publications, right?
1: That's right. Which is a division yeah. of Sophia Institute Press.
0: Yeah, that that always confuses me a little bit. But uh, thank you for coming on the show to discuss your book. Dr. Williams. Welcome.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Connor. I it's not a very pleasant subject, but I think it's a very important one today and it's one that a lot of people are not aware of how serious it is. So I think it's worth it's worth our discussion.
0: Yeah, and it really is it's something that I think will surprise many people about how uh how important this topic is as people might think that uh People think that we've progressed in society. You know that that's the main, that's a big message of the world today is that we're progressing, we're getting beyond uh, such things. But it seems to me, especially from your book, that we're kind of just getting started on a on a phase of Christian persecution.
1: Well, every indicator points that way, and it's again, it's it's kind of a dire reality, but it's a true one. Uh, Pope John Paul II, leading up to the year 2000, said we were headed for a new age of martyrs, uh, and and he was a very prophetic man. He he saw a lot of things coming, um, and we've really seen that it's true. It's coming true in our day, you know, whether it's from Islamic extremists of the Islamic State or Boko Haram. In Nigeria or in the Middle East, or whether it's radical secularists, even in the West, which used to be a bastion of religious liberty and, and support for Christianity, uh, we really see that in all parts of the world, um, this is really a growing phenomenon, and the resistance to it is going less and less.
0: Yeah. Will you give uh, the audience sort of a definition, like what constitutes persecution, for uh, especially for Christians?
1: I and mean, persecution, it takes different forms. Obviously, the most radical and historically the most uh, impactful, if you will, uh, type of persecution is martyrdom, uh, the red persecution, red martyrdom, the shedding of blood, being killed for odium fide, for, you know, for hatred of the faith, specifically for belonging to Jesus Christ, for proclaiming Jesus Christ to the world, people are killed. And this continues to happen in our own day. There are there are hundreds every single year of Christian martyrs right now. Uh, But there are many other forms of this as well. Uh, There are those who are just discriminated against in the sense that they lose their jobs or they are treated as second-class citizens depending on where they live, or they are put in prison, another form of persecution. Um, And then there are somewhat lighter forms that we experience in the West, which easily then become some of the harder forms, whether it's just ridicule or ostracization Uh, you know, being treated as someone who is not worthy of being at the table because of these antiquated, if if you will, Bronze Age beliefs, as some of them are now saying when they speak of the Bible. Um, Something, just be treated as if you are lower than the rest of humanity because you espouse these beliefs and because of your adherence to Jesus.
0: Yeah, it does seem like violence uh, grows when a society deems a certain group of people antithetical to to the society to their society
1: i that's exactly it's a really really important point connor and i think that that's what we're seeing more and more in the west where christianity used to be you know everybody assumed that other people were either christian or you know we're living in a christian culture and basically espoused fundamental christian beliefs about god about family about the relationship of the state and, and the individual, et cetera, all these different things. And nowadays, uh, Christians are looked upon more and more with suspicion and hostility as being really part of the problem of society. They you they tar us with names like Christian nationalists or white supremacists or um, theocrats or uh, you know homophobes or people who are against progress because of fundamental Christian beliefs in, for example, man and woman made by God, two sexes, not 52 um, <laughs> basic, basic beliefs about religious liberty and freedom and the ability to proclaim and practice our faith in public, or whether it's about the, the sacredness of, and, uh, and inviolability of human life and our defense of the unborn. These are all things that get in the way of a radical secularist agenda. And making Christians out to be really the problem, something that is holding back the progress that society is meant to have.
0: Yeah, I think people also have this false understanding that persecution or martyrdom ended when Christianity was legalized in the in the Roman Empire. But really, you see, especially amongst Christians, once once there becomes Different, like different heresies or different um, Protestant sects, there becomes this uh, violence uh, and persecution of, you know, very much Catholics, especially uh, and Protestants alike. But uh, obviously, that that fighting. So there's always been a danger to being Christian, even when Christianity was uh, so widespread post uh, the Roman Empire.
1: Well, absolutely. And that's a very important point, too. And I, I think that, you know, Jesus told his disciples, he told us that this is what we should expect, that if you're going to follow me, you know, the disciple will always be like his master. If they hated me, they will hate you, too. This is something that that he he promised us. In fact, you could say he warned us. But in a way, he also gave us this gift. You will share also in my cross in this way. Which is, you know, also a badge of honor for Christians. I think it's something that, as much as we hate it, our, our our flesh, if you will, rebels against it because it's not a pleasant thing. It is also a sign of our fidelity to Christ. And I think that, you know, sometimes we could have more to worry about if we suffer nothing for Christ's name. If we if we if everybody loves us and the world embraces us, we should wonder then what we're doing wrong, not when we're mistreated.
0: Yeah, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Uh, where is that, uh, from who's, who said that, do you know?
1: That is from an early, early philosopher named Tertullian, who was a Christian, uh, philosopher more than a theologian. And he coined that phrase because of the Roman persecution of of the Roman empire and how many people converted to Christianity because of that. And he's often cited because what was a reality then has been a reality down through the ages.
0: Yeah. There's kind of an interesting, uh, Pop uh, pop culture reference that I'm gonna make uh, about this is there uh, in uh, the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi is being uh, is killed by Darth Vader, but before he says that, uh, if you kill me, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. It really reminds me, just uh, for uh, people who really like uh, Star Wars, especially, it's kind of similar insofar as the power of martyrdom has a greater impact not just on the person, but on everyone around.
1: That is, that is true. And I thank you, by the way, for citing an uh, early Star Wars, the very first, which I saw in theaters, I'm old enough to have seen that in, in, in theaters. If you cited some of the later ones, I might not be able to follow your reference, but that one, I, that was, that's a fantastic movie and it's a fantastic figure. The figure of Obi-Wan Kenobi in many ways is kind of a Christic figure in the sense that he does give his life. Remember in the end of that he's fighting, but in the end he, he holds up his his lightsaber and he is smitten. But he knows what's gonna happen after that with the you know, the rebel uh alliance and the and the overthrow of, of that evil regime, if you will.
0: Yeah. The old uh Star Wars movies, the original trilogy have more in more in common, I think, with Christianity uh than the later ones. But um but yeah. So Overall, in regards to persecution today, is the international scene and as well as the cultural uh, setup in the West, is it kind of a perfect storm for Christian persecution? Is it is it creating this basically? Is this allowing it to happen?
1: Well, it is exactly a perfect storm. That's a that's a fantastic way to put it, because the drivers of Christian persecution are getting stronger and stronger. There's no sign of any let up. If anything, they're intensifying. But at the same time, we have a dropping of the guard in the West, in in, traditional historic strongholds of Christianity those who defended Christianity throughout the world, and, and especially in the form of religious liberty, which is something we see being weakened day by day in our own culture. And coupled finally with a widespread ignorance Uh, another reason that i thought it was important to write this book and i'm so glad i'm grateful to you for having me on your your show as well is because so many people just don't know because mainstream media does not cover the persecution of christians despite the fact that it's a real daily reality in so many parts of the world it's something that is either intentionally ignored or suppressed or simply through ignorance not covered
0: Yeah. Also, I don't think I don't. I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but I will have the link uh, to your book in the description. uh, And I really encourage people to go out and uh, buy the book and support your work. It's it's uh it's very important, and as well as it will help us help everyone have an idea on what they can be doing to prepare and how they should react to persecution if it if it comes their way specifically.
1: Well, I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge part of it, too, just being ready. You know, Jesus said so many times in the gospel, be prepared. You do not know the day nor the hour. And that, you know, obviously can refer to our death, but it also refers to moments of ordeal and trial where we're put to the test. And I think that that readiness and that awareness of what it takes to be ready is, is really essential for Christians today.
0: You mentioned the freedom of religion, especially in the United States, but also other places in the West where uh where that's sort of always or has been a codified thing for a while uh has it has the freedom of religion really become the freedom from religion at this point
1: yeah it's it's honestly one of the most tragic aspects of this whole scenario especially in a country which we love the United States of America which was really founded on religious freedom it's not only America's first freedom it's the reason those initial pilgrims came over uh to the united states which was at the time obviously not the united states of america but to the continent of america because they were trying to escape from a regime in in england which was oppressive to beliefs that were outside of the mainstream and they wanted to go to a place where they could worship god freely america was founded on the worship of god the christian god and by people who believed that everyone should have a right to practice that freedom And and it's tragic, in my mind, when in in our own day, we see the diminishment and sometimes the attack, direct attack on this. Uh, They will often say that it's an excuse for discrimination. Uh, If you're talking especially about LGBT questions, uh, simply because Christians are unwilling to celebrate something that they believe to be fundamentally wrong and fundamentally displeasing to God. obviously without hatred in our hearts, that's not the point. And it's often colored that way as if anytime you make a distinction and say, I'm sorry, I don't believe that that's right. Then necessarily in some way you're a hater. And that's something we would deny, but those are the labels that are, that are often used. And right now we see religious Liberty in the U S kind of being downgraded first to the level of all other rights. In other words, it's pride of pray, place that it had before. Uh, it has now been completely lost. So in, whenever it kind of butts heads with another presumed right, uh, it's it's thought to be no more important. Um, and secondly, in many cases, actually downgraded below that is something that is, that is not even really worthy of talking about. Again, this whole idea of, of belief um, in a radically secularist uh, society is something that is considered inferior. Is
0: there a right now that you would say, israel has given has been has taken its pride of place
1: well honestly in terms of uh social discourse right now it really has to do i think with lgbt rights and uh and again i'm not i don't mean to attack that particular agenda and that particular group of people uh but the one that we see constantly uh and a lot of the attacks against christianity come from more aggressive members of that particular lobby group or extended i don't like calling it a community they speak about the lgbt community but in many ways it's really does not fit the definition of a community but anyway that yeah. particular interest group um is often considered that's a higher right in some way than people's conscience or religious rights for example to simply say we believe in one man one woman marriage
0: yeah they call a lot of people communities that don't really count as communities Um, but so how wide is the persecution especially outside the United States obviously it's mostly outside of the United States but how wide like can you give us some real figures
1: yeah I think there are there are two key statistics that people should keep in mind because they really kind of sum up the nature of the problem and and just how uh, widespread it is and the first is This according to Open Doors, which is a Christian persecution watchdog group that monitors this every year. They do lots and lots of studies on this question. Um, And they said in in their latest uh, World Watch list, which is a yearly report they put out, that 360 million Christians live in a situation of serious to severe Christian persecution. In other words, those not like us, not those who can be ostracized or marginalized or treated badly or harassed in some way, but those who actually are in fear for their lives, the fear of shedding their blood. And that's just a massive number. 360 million people is, is more than the entire population of the United States. It's it's a horrendous number of people that live in daily fear for their lives because of their Christian faith. The second statistic is another one that I think shocks a lot of people who who don't follow this topic regularly, which is that if you look around the world, all the people who suffer any kind of persecution for their faith, whatever that faith might be, three out of four of those, a full 75% are Christians. In other words, three quarters of people who in the world suffer persecution for the sake of their religious belief belong to the Christian religion. Uh, so that's another, and put those two together, and you get a situation that is, I think, astonishing, and something that is really kind of uh, very problematic for our world today.
0: It that's terrifying. Uh, I I can't imagine being in that situation. So it's it, that's just extraordinarily terrifying. Um, is is there any are there any countries that are uh, Christian countries? or even other countries looking out for these uh, persecuted Christians?
1: Another great question. This is part of the problem that I was trying to allude to a little bit earlier in the sense that those um, historic defenders of Christianity, of Christians and of freedom of worship, freedom of belief, and freedom of religious practice have, have waned so far that they not only are not standing up and defending, but in a way they are participating in a in a at least implicitly in a cover-up, in the sense that this is something that is simply not being reported on, so people are unaware that it's happening. There's even a real denial of the problem, despite this magnitude of the problem. I'll give you just one example. You might've read this in the book. I include this in the book, but it's something that astonishes me. So Wikipedia actually has an entire entry on something they call a Christian persecution complex and they go mm-hmm. in to describe how many christians imagine that they are persecuted because it because it makes them feel like better christians it makes them feel closer to jesus and i when i read that i was i was dumbfounded because i was picturing to myself can you imagine if wikipedia made a web page for uh, you know jewish persecution complex the outrage if they did that or you know islamic persecution complex people would be up in arms but they feel per- perfectly at in their rights to make something that alluding to christians um so this is this is you know hugely problematic i will say there's one very unfortunately very small but beautiful counter example of this and that is the nation of hungary which still considers itself to be a christian nation it doesn't it's not a confessional state in the sense it doesn't have a state religion but the leader the prime minister and all you know they basically say we are a christian nation this was founded as a christian nation saint stephen of hungary was among our founders et cetera. this is something we believe in and they are the only country that i'm aware of that actually has a ministry within their government of aid to to, to persecuted christians in the world and what they do is they give money but they also actually send teams out and they rebuild schools and homes um, and they come to the defense and the aid of Christians who are persecuted. And they do it. I like this also very much to help them also stay where they are. They they kind of reject the model of, all right, so if you're being attacked in Mosul, you should just leave there and go to some other country. They say, no, you should stay there. We will help you to rebuild. We will help you to be able to hold on to your homeland instead of to be a victim of this kind of forced migration.
0: Yeah, that's it, it, interesting that Hungary is the main example, to the contrary, if this was any other religion, would there be a greater um, number of countries up in arms?
1: I mean, I think so. Certainly um, the Islamic states, there's still obviously a number of Islamic states, uh, confessionally Islamic states in the world, that do come to the defense of muslims who are in need who are who are who are persecuted um i think in the west right now too since the radical secularists really do see christianity as the problem and not the solution i think they would rather support anybody else um, rather than the actual victims of this persecution who are christians they don't want in any way to be seen as being supportive or to be showing christians as victims and martyrs Because that only obviously raises the stock in Christianity. What they want to do is diminish and make it look like Christians are always the perpetrators and never, uh, never the victims of this kind of abuse.
0: Yeah. What country in uh, or what Christian or sorry? In what country are Christians most persecuted?
1: Well, by one standard, where Christians are most likely to die for their faith the winner is nigeria and uh this is this is something else that i find very problematic because a couple of years ago president joe biden decided that it was time to take nigeria off the list of what are called cpcs or countries of particular concern which is something uh that the state department designates certain countries as countries of particular concern because of their uh religious persecution not specifically christian and Joe Biden decided that uh, Nigeria should no longer be on that list, despite the fact that Christians die at a higher rate in Nigeria than anywhere else in the world. Um, and again, this is something we often don't hear about. I'll give you another if we have a, a time, I'll give you an, a, an example of this that I find particularly striking. In 2019, in the month of March, I think you will remember this and I bet your your listeners, your your viewers will also. Um, There was a horrific crime down in Christchurch, New Zealand, where a man went into two different mosques and he started shooting. I believe he killed 51 Muslims. It was absolutely horrible. Um, And this was on the front page of all the newspapers. It made top billing in all um, cable news and different news programs on television. What you didn't hear about, and and it deserved that, by the way, it should have gotten top billing. But what you didn't hear about was that very week, there were 220 Christians killed in Nigeria, specifically targeted because of their faith. There were entire villages wiped out. Wow. Some were killed with machetes. Some had were burned alive in their homes. Uh, some were shot. Uh, this was an absolutely terrible thing, and I actually did the research on this. It was not covered by any major newspaper in the United States, nor by any news station uh, on, on television. I mean, I'm not so, surprised. I mean, that's something either that's willful or it is such ignorance that these are people that don't even deserve the the title as journalists.
0: Well, it's a it's a narrative thing. They need things to maintain the same narrative. So if there was another shooting of Muslims, that would have they would have uh, just continued on with their story. But adding that to the story. But, you know, something that sort of if they can if something kind of detracts from their narrative even if their narrative is you shouldn't harm muslims or something like that the point more has to be that they want to make people think that only muslims are persecuted or you know that, that christians are are villainous
1: yes that's exactly right that's a, that's that's a very insightful um and we see that in terms of religion we see it also in terms of these other groups i mean just Recently, we experienced that horrific shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville and uh, the way a lot of news uh, agencies reported on this since the the actual perpetrator of the crime was a 28 year old uh, transgender woman. Uh, they said, because transgender people are so persecuted, that's why they're lashing back out and they, they rushed to the defense. And rather than say, there's something problematic here about this hatred of Christians attacking a, a Christian school um they said well it's because society is so unfriendly to transgender people that we're getting this kind of violence it's a logical response in other words putting kind of the burden back on those who find it problematic when people you have to refer to people as members of the sex other than their own because they want to be or believe themselves to be members of that sex
0: yeah it's creating the uh, the idea that it's okay to kill christians uh, Because of because of what they believe and that it's just and that and giving an excuse is basically just giving a justification.
1: Absolutely. Basically, it says, well, Christians brought this on themselves. They deserve Mm -hmm. it. They don't say that in so many words, but that's the clear underlying message that they are they are giving.
0: They're almost kind of clear. They're 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 inching their way up to to being that clear. And in some ways, it's uh, it's pretty su- it's pretty surprising that they are coming so close to that um
1: yeah and it is I I think the word you chose is the the right one very apt uh, it's the narrative they want to control the narrative you probably remember the uh, the Covington uh, Kentucky student uh, Nick Sandeman who at the march for life three years ago um, was pilloried uh, and made to look as if he were harassing uh, Native Americans, when actually the final news came out and you saw the full video you saw that the group actually came and provoked him they came and stood in his face and he didn't react but it made it look like you know his protesting against abortion was some way you know directed against these native americans who and it turns out when we've got the backstory on this particularly the leader of that particular group has been very provocative. This is something that he goes around regularly and does because he tries to get white people in trouble.
0: Yeah, and the thing they highlighted specifically, a lot of people on Twitter was was like his smile, his like Nick yeah. Sandman's smile, and talking about how uh, it's you know he has a punchable face, and you know re- really emphasizing the desire to uh, inv- invict harm on him.
1: Yeah, I and they got away with that. I mean, that is something that it's the double standard was very apparent there, because if you said that about other people, you would be banned from Twitter. You'd be shut down on Facebook because these are things that are considered provocations to violence. And yet people were saying this about Sandeman, you know, who was just a high school kid, for goodness sake, uh, who was just out there peacefully demonstrating on behalf of life. And yet, yeah, you could say he has a very punchable faith in this face. And, you know, it was it was provocative.
0: I just thought it was amazing because they're they're talking about a child. They're still they were you know he was I believe he was uh younger than eighteen, so he he uh, he was a a minor, and they're talking about uh you know hurting a minor who even by like by um by legal standards doesn't really you know isn't fully in or responsible in that area because you know he you know he hasn't he hasn't matured all the way out of, uh, you know, into, um, adulthood. So it's, it's just a crazy thing to go from like, um, it it, basically they have a problem with, uh, children or with, uh, with young adults being anything other than, um, these progressive activists.
1: That's exactly right. You know, and in basic, uh, standards of human decency, are just set aside when that person happens to get in the way of their agenda, and we see that happening. And in this case, he was a, he was a Christian boy. He was out because he really believed he went with his school, uh, but he was wearing a MAGA hat, and he, you know, obviously was, you know, there on on behalf of the unborn, and that was an unacceptable position. And so his status as a minor, I think he was sixteen, if I'm not mistaken, he was sixteen at the time. Um, was was insufficient. That, you know, was waived, if you will, simply because he was on the wrong side of the fence.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it just shows how vulnerable, maybe not to, um, you know, obviously not at this point to red martyrdom, but there is a, you know, a, a white martyrdom that can be, or white persecution, at least, that is in effect, in ways in, in, in Christian or f- formerly Christian countries, probably.
1: Yeah, and more and more. And we're seeing this with targeted FBI, um, you know, harassment, serious harassment of pro-life people or against, you, you saw this, I'm sure, recently also people who go to the Latin mass. They were considered s- s- especially susceptible to becoming Christian nationalists and white supremacists, which is, I mean, on the face of it, it's ridiculous. But the fact that the FBI would actually target them and go after them obviously they had to suppress that document that document was leaked by a whistleblower and they had to disown it as quickly as they could but the fact that this is going on is, is really really distressing and we've been seeing this and this has been going on for some years now I, I remember very well because it was a good friend of mine Amy Coney Barrett when she was first up for U.S. District Court uh, she'd been named the, the religious hazing that she suffered at the hands of the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, remember, Diane Feinstein said to, said to her, you know, that the dogma lives loudly in you. And, and, and Dick Durbin, who is supposedly at least nominally a Catholic himself, uh, had the same kind of, you know, really religious based hazing. It was almost a religious litmus test for that office. The sense that that she was so devout that that in some way would inhibit her uh, to be an unbiased judge. on on the, on the district court, you know, happily, it was a little less for that when she was named for the Supreme court, because she'd already been so rigged over the call the the first time.
0: Yeah. You can't can't really do much more than what they already did. Uh, and plus it probably would have gotten even more attention, uh, with a Supreme court nomination, if they had done any, uh, done anything more, uh, in that case.
1: And there was, thankfully, some pushback. Uh, there was some pushback after that because it was so egregious. Uh, the, the way that they treated it was just unworthy of that of that committee. Um, and there, there was another judge, judge later that year, Brian Busher, who was up for a similar post, who went through a very similar sort of hazing. Uh, his was primarily because he belonged to the Knights of Columbus, of all things. <laughs> Uh, this this large organization was, you know, John F. Kennedy was a member of the Knights of Columbus, for goodness' sake. I mean, this is something, but they said that it's this a, is an anti-LGBT organization. Again, they bring out these same uh, these same topics to make it look like Christians are bigots.
0: Those pancake breakfasts are uh, very uh, dangerous, I'd say. Um, but, exactly, uh, they
1: undermine they undermine our nation's integrity. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a that's a wild claim. Uh, so going back to uh, especially Nigeria, Nigeria is uh, in the book. You say it's about I think forty seven percent Christian.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's, a- it's, it's, it's it's got a lot of Christians. It's predominantly geographically uh, broken up. Um, but the thing is this that that the, the a lot of the Muslims in Nigeria in particular are very, very hostile. They're very aggressive and very violent. And you so something that started kind of in the north with Boko Haram, there were mass kidnappings, there were mass killings of Christians and it, that is registered as an Islamic terror group. But then we had a problem spreading down into the center, what they call the middle belt of Nigeria with these uh, Fulani raiders or Fulani herdsmen, they would sometimes call them, but they're really militant Islamists. and Really, the way the story has uh, been accurately described is that there is a, a process of Islamiz- Islamization of the country, that people who believe that the only true Nigerian is a Muslim. And and so the hostility has been almost completely one-sided in terms of the violence of one group against the other. It has been almost completely Muslims against Christians. And the fact that the government for the last eight to 10 years has also been Run by, in fact, um, Buhari, who, who recently stepped down, the president of the country, was a member of that same ethnic group, the the Fulanis. And noteworthy was the negligence with which the the government did any sort of follow up or any sort of uh, enforcement of laws for the protection of Christians.
0: Yeah, that man- that mentality of believing, uh, like in Nigeria, uh, that the country only not, only real Nigerians are muslims is very similar to the 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 sort of situation in india uh with uh the only true indian being hindu so like how many countries is that type of attitude prevalent
1: oh many many more than we would suppose so I'll give you some examples. You've named you've named a couple. You've got Nigeria. You've got the case of the Hindu nationalists in India, very strong there. Yemen, uh, Syria to a large extent, um, Iran, Iraq to a slightly lesser degree, but Iraq it still is still present there as well. Um, let's think of some others here. Um, Eritrea, um, where Ethiopia, is that? Was, uh, so that's northern North Africa. OK. There are there are a number um, of Islamic majority countries or in a lot of them or Afghanistan is another good example. Pakistan is another very good example. Those are two. Both of those are Islamic republics. They we often don't hear that name, but it's actually part of the full name of the country. Uh, They are confessional states and there are there are places where it is. Illegal to convert, for example, a Muslim to Christianity. We've had all those cases of uh, in Pakistan, for example, under their blasphemy laws, where anyone who says anything against the prophet or, or tries to proselytize or evangelize uh, Muslims, they're often killed by mobs. Uh, sometimes they're actually taken into to a court. But when they have been killed by mobs, you don't see any sort of prosecution of those who are culpable. They just turn. there's a blind eye turned and it's really it's really scary to think what Christians have to go to in these countries. Remember the very emblematic case of Asia or Asia Bibi, who was in jail for 10 years uh, because of trumped up charges that said that she was trying to evangelize other women standing around a well when they were working. And it was simply because she was Christian and they hated her and they wanted to see her. So they brought the case and she was thrown in jail and left there for 10 years. It's
0: interesting that she was by a well cuz it just makes me think of uh Bible stories.
1: <laughs> yeah. The Samaritan um, woman. Yeah, th- that ended a lot better for the Samaritan woman than it did for poor Bibi.
0: Yeah. Uh so but we did t- you know, I mentioned India. I don't think many people think of Hinduism as a uh sort of an aggressive religion. Is that uh is that more so now or less so or previously? Like, like, has it always been that way? Is it now, uh, is it, is it becoming that way now?
1: Well, we do have this idea and I think it's a a partially false idea of Hinduism as being a very pacifist, uh, very non-aggressive, uh, sort of belief system. And, when it's pushed to it, that's not the case at all. And I'll give you an example uh, that kind of illustrates this caste system, which is not an interreligious thing at all. It's within Hinduism and the structure of Hinduism itself. But the rigid way and and the very, uh, I would say, you know, intransigent way that that is enforced, that you are at that level, you cannot move, there's no mobility out of your caste. And if you happen to be a pariah and untouchable of the lowest caste, um, that you will be treated as really a second-class citizen, almost no better than an animal. Um, and this is something, so we we have this idea of these kind of lovey-dovey uh, Hindus, and I don't mean to in any way demean Hinduism as a religion or as a group, but there is very much that potential for a much more aggressive um, treatment of, of those who are outsiders in some way. And Christians have been particularly uh, susceptible to this in recent years.
0: Yeah, I think people often think of Gandhi Mostly, is that uh, like is is that is did he give a false impression of Hinduism?
1: No, I don't think it was false. I think Gandhi was just a an exceptional human being. Um, by all by all accounts, I think he was really, you know, a, a beautiful human being. And I and I wish that all uh, Hindus, you know, I wish that all Christians looked like Jesus too. But I I wish that all <laughs> Hindus, you know, looked. A little bit more like Gandhi took, took his example. I, I think that, you know, a, a lot of times this kind of persecution, this kind of lashing out, comes from a, a position of fear and a position of when when someone feels threatened, uh, then they lash out in a very aggressive way. And I think that um, I think Christianity sometimes does that to people, where they can feel that you know there's something very attractive about the Christian religion. There's something very attractive about the example of Jesus, and I think that that can seem threatening uh, to those who don't espouse it.
0: Yeah, this isn't uh, a religious comparison, uh, but it it kind of makes me think of uh, the U- the Ukrainian situation, um, sort of like the ca- like causes of uh, the Russian-Ukrainian war. The if you feel threatened, you might become uh, uh, you might act viol- uh, act out violently
1: that's yeah. a really good point yeah and and i think that that is clearly the case you know wherever there, there are there are lots of different nuances obviously to this whole situation mm-hmm. but there's no question that given his position putin and and the the russian federation um felt threatened by ukraine's rapprochement with with nato uh, with you know, having their border, what they thought was, was, you know, possibly under, you know, as being vulnerable or vulnerable to attack. And also, quite honestly, the fact that the Russian Empire, both the former Russian Empire and then the Russian Empire under the Soviet Union extended so much further. There was also yeah. a feeling of being hemmed in beyond uh, the borders. And they wanted to re they would still want to re extend that back out to where they think those borders belong.
0: Yeah uh so it's interesting uh so we talked about sort of persecution amongst christians in nigeria is that also the place where the uh, catholics are most persecuted is nigeria or or is there another country where specifically catholics are being persecuted
1: well, I mean, many Nigeria is, is divided in terms of denominations. There's a very strong uh, Catholic presence, but I don't think Catholics tend to be singled out, particularly in Nigeria. I think Christians themselves are seen as one single group. I think by the Muslims there, Muslims are not really, you know, parsing those theological and, and historic differences. Um, places where Catholics as a group are, are more, well, People make distinctions. for example, in China, we could take the example of China where there's a nominal sort of religious freedom guaranteed by guaranteed by the the Chinese um, Constitution. But there, as we know, the church, the the Catholic Church is roughly divided in two between the underground Catholic Church and the Catholic Church that is accepted and friendly to the government because uh, it's associated with the Catholic, the Chinese Catholic Patriotic Association, which is state run and state monitored. Uh, This is something where um, the state feels like they have control and they feel comfortable with that. Whereas the underground church that has historically been faithful to Rome and to the Pope is something that they feel they don't control and they feel much more, uh, I think, frightened and also much more uh, determined to root that out. And so you do get a situation where a very particular group of Catholics, the underground Catholic Church is singled out and targeted specifically uh, for an awful lot of persecution.
0: Yeah, there have been many many criticisms of Pope Francis regarding his uh, dealing with the uh, CCP, uh, and it just makes me wonder how should the Catholic Church be reacting to the growing threats to its people in these in these persecutions.
1: Well, I, I think in the case of China, I think a, a, a lot, and this, this comes out constantly uh, in, in leaked reports from within China, uh, members of the underground church really feel thrown under the bus by by the Vatican, by the Pope at this time. They feel like they've been abandoned. And particularly the most egregious example of this was when the Pope in July, I think it was of 2020, if I'm not mistaken, the year, uh, when he said that Catholics could now, prelates and clergy and lay people alike, could now become members of the uh, the uh, Patriotic Association, which was has always been for, forbidden to Catholics because it is declaredly independent from Rome. It does not owe any allegiance to the Pope. It doesn't accept the hierarchy of the church. And the problem is when you allow this to be a possibility, then, You give a big stick to the Chinese government, to Beijing, because they say, well, if you don't choose to do that, now that you're allowed to do it, it's because you're stubborn. It's not because you're being faithful to the church. It's not because you're being faithful to Rome. It's because you are pigheaded. You don't want to do it because, you know, in your mind, you know, it betrays your little principles, but your church allows it. So you should be doing it. You know, and this is something I find, you know, very, very very sad, tragic, honestly.
0: Yeah. So is there uh, anything that they can be doing? Out, uh, that well, be doing. I, I
1: think I think what the church has always tried to do and, and we should constantly do is to be supportive of our persecuted brothers and sister, sisters and sisters in their situation and to hold them up as examples for the rest of the church examples for the world of people who are faithful and suffer because of their fidelity. I mean, this is whether it's red martyrdom or white martyrdom, that, that constant situation of, of harassment and persecution and often jail time and sometimes worse you know, is, is an ongoing thing and they deserve to be, to be, you know, held up as real heroes of the faith rather than kind of marginalized, put aside as people who are not keeping up with the times with this new uh, culture of dialogue.
0: Yeah. It is, um, back to kind of Nigeria too, specifically, you know, I, I mentioned the 47%. It's just so interesting to me that such a large percentage of Nigerians are Christian and are under persecution. Is there any like growing desire to be like uh, mil- uh, defensively militant in Nigeria, uh, you know, defending themselves?
1: I've seen no evidence of that. and I, And I think it's probably not a bad thing. What you don't want is a religious war. I don't think you want. And, you know, I'm always reading the statements and and pronouncements of the Catholic hierarchy within the country and where they have been very, very clear about the problem of the persecution. Uh, They have the the thrust of their message has been one to the government that the government needs to uh, live up to the expectations of the people and start defending the rights, especially the rights of religious freedom of all its citizens and not just one particular group. And I think that's the strategy that they've chosen rather than calling to arms uh, Catholics and other Christians to actually, you know, resist. And and again, the defensive way and and sometimes being in some kind of, you know, self-imposed lockdown, there's a lot of that trying to have strongholds. There are bunkers built, honestly, around a lot of Christian establishment schools and parishes uh, just to try to defend against this sort of attack. But there hasn't been any real call. And I think there's a good thing for christians to be taking up arms against muslims there
0: is there a potential where it it, uh the persecutions become so bad that that becomes a a possibility you know as horrible it would be
1: well yeah and and the problem is it very easily gets out of hand obviously self-defense is always a right of 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 every human being and certainly a right of christians um you know i'm i'm Thrown back in time to the Cristero Revolution in in Mexico, and you know that Cristero uprising was armed Christians, armed Catholics in this case, almost hundred percent Catholics, who were against this Masonic government that was constantly repressing and and harassing them. And I, it was Pius XI who, in uh, I think it was in in uh, 1934, actually asked them to lay down their arms. He at, at one point said to the Cristeros. You know, we have to we have to put down the arms now and stop this ongoing conflict. And as soon as they did, they were massacred. It was actually a a tragic story where the end result was nothing like I'm sure Pius XI would have expected or hoped. And it showed also the brutality that enemies of the church will sometimes go to um, when they have the upper hand like that.
0: Yeah. And I bet that felt like a, a big betrayal for all of the Cristeros uh, being, you know, being, uh, they were very, you know, respectful of their, of their hierarchy of listening to the Pope. And then they, you know, do what they're told to do and they, uh, you know, they lose because of it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm sure. I mean, I remember with the first time I had contact with that history and it's just so just, you know, it's like a gut punch to see what happened and, and yeah, and they did it because they were true Catholics and they were trying to be faithful to what, The Holy Father wanted, and yet it ended up in being so many of them being slaughtered for it.
0: Yeah, it can be hard being Catholic in in, in that specific way. Um, So do you see, this is kind of my uh, final question, is Christianity in the West in danger of moving to the catacombs?
1: I think this is always a danger, and I, I hope we resist that that urge. Um, You know, the kind of fortress mentality, we have to just hunker down and hide away and, you know, build walls and hide behind them. I, I think it's very tempting when society becomes very aggressive and becomes very, you know, harsh in its way of treating Christians. But the Christian message has always been one and this comes from our Lord himself of going out to the whole world making disciples of the nations. It's not of hiding and just trying to hold on to what we have. We are an evangelizing and missionary faith, and and we are called to proclaim Christ to the ends of the earth, no matter what that means in terms of our personal health and well-being, if you are personal comfort. Many times, um, it, it's what we're called. We're called to witness to Jesus, and, you know, I think there might be individual cases where where people don't have that responsibility in a given moment because of of the predicament that they're in. But for most of us, that is that's what we're called to do. We're called to be out there. And playing offense, not defense, and not hiding away um, in some kind of fortress, but really out there proclaiming the truth, and you know the ships will fall where they may.
0: I'm not sure that uh, this necessarily uh, would would disagree with you or anything like that, but I know the Benedict option has become has very has become very prominent, uh, and you know sort of in some ways uh, building. I think it's like, isn't it, building a society kind of apart?
1: Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not an enormous fan. I, I think sure. the, the Benedict Benedictine spirituality and and the actual reality of uh, Benedictine monasticism is something I think is slightly different. I think the reason it's different is that's always called to be a minority. Those who separate themselves from the world to pray for the world to witness to the world from that situation. That's not a call for the entire church to hide in the catacombs. That's a call for people who have a specific vocation to live that out away from the world and specifically in radical witness and in prayer, in active prayer for the Christians who are engaged in the world as Lebanon society. And I think that we can't forget that that is the majority of us. Uh, I, I think that there are those who are called To retire from the world, there always have been. Monastic life is a a beautiful reality. Uh, Being, you know, the hermits, the fathers of the desert. I mean, there's so many examples in history of these very important movements, but there were always small minorities of people who felt a very particular call to that. It was never meant to be something, come on, let's all go. Let's all go to the desert. Let's all go to the catacombs. That's just not the way it was ever meant to be.
0: Yeah, the very opposite of that is very much the Dominican way where they are, where they you know go into cities and they they're preaching uh, and in sort of doing battle with whatever the the false uh, view of the world is at the time. Very true.
1: Very true. Yeah, I mean we need both. We need both. Uh, my only fear is that when the Benedict Option begins, starts becoming looked upon as this should be you know a mass appeal for for. Every everyday Catholics, I, I think that it becomes becomes a little problematic. I, I think it loses a little bit of the spirit of what the Benedictines really were and are still in the world today.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great uh, insight and uh, a, a a good way of looking at how, how we we can't be afraid. We can't be afraid of the persecution to come. We can't because otherwise we're set we're setting ourselves up to probably lose even even more
1: absolutely if you hide away what are you going to do i mean you're you no longer engage you no longer contribute you no longer part of the conversation you're not making the argument you're you're not proclaiming and when a christian stops proclaiming jesus to the world you know that is it kind of kind of i don't know it it, it neutralizes the that that effect of being salt and being light this is what jesus calls us uh salt is meant to transform the taste and trend and to preserve and to transform light is meant to you know all of a sudden people see things Uh, and this is this is a real reality of the christian vis-a-vis society this is what we're called to be we're called to actually um have an effect on society not to be withdrawn and just to be hiding from that society with all its evils, but actually to be changing it.
0: Yeah. No, uh, I, I really appreciate your uh, thoughts on that subject. And uh, I really, am I greatly appreciate that you've uh, written this book and that you've, you've been able to come on to the show to discuss it. Uh, is there uh, anything else that you want to sort of, uh, promote or add or tell people where to find you and uh, that sort of thing?
1: Oh, sure. Th- and thank you, Connor. This, it's been a privilege, honestly, for me to be on your show. And I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, if people want on Twitter, people can find me at, at TD Williams uh, Sorry, TD WilliamsRome. at TD And uh, the other option would be I have a website, www.thomasdwilliams.com yeah
0: this uh this is your 18th book so uh yes. y- you've been incredibly busy uh, uh writing books and uh so people can also check out your other work uh and uh if they if they're really interested but obviously they should uh, they should get this book first um wow. uh and again that's crisis publications i will have a link to that in the description is there i assume that's the best place to
1: get the book yeah sophie institute press.com has has the book there it's on amazon too it's on it's it's uh, oh, it's, uh it, we're both yeah
0: okay i'll uh i'll link that um well really thank you again for coming on the show uh for everyone watching if you like this episode please like share comment and subscribe you know we want this uh we want this conversation to go to as you know as many people as possible if you think this is a conversation that people should hear more of please uh help support this and uh, also we, we have a discord so if you want to continue the conversation off of uh well youtube or rumble or off of podcast apps you know if you want to have a little more time or a little you you know an opportunity to uh have contact with me and ask questions and even have questions for guests in the future uh that's a great place to go to be able to do that but uh thank you again dr williams and uh god bless bye thank you
1: god bless you too connor and your great work thank you